Let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts not only be acceptable in your sight, but Lord, would they bring you praise, glory, and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, having my uh, son home during the day in the summertime reminded me this week of my life as a kid. Uh, My mom was a professional pianist and organist, and uh, during the summer, she would have to leave the house for an hour or two um, and, you know, basically go play for funerals, you know, around the Washington, D.C. area. And, you know, I was sort of the typical self-righteous oldest child who performed, for, you know, before mom and dad and always knew how to avoid the blame and, and look, you know, sort of responsible. So in the summers when I was like 12 or 13, my mom would leave to play for funerals and I was left in charge of my brother, eight, who was a hellion, and my sister, who was four. Um, and the, the minute that my mom left, I would sprint um, right to the phone and put the word out that I was, you know, it was going down at our house. And so the neighborhood came over uh, to our house as soon as my mom was gone. My dad had built this giant uh, swing set at the church, uh, in our backyard. And it was uh, built with telephone poles. It was, that's how high it was. And, um, and, and it was really, it was incredible. And so um, basically... We would take the sheets off of our mattresses and drag them, our mattresses outside. Now, again, my mom's not home. And pile them on top of each other. And my four-year-old sister would just be watching TV or maybe she would come watch us. But, um, you know, we would swing on the swing as high as we could. We, we would have all the kids pushing. And, and then a kid would fly up into the air and, like, do some sort of move like they were at a at the swimming pool and bounce onto the mattresses. And I, I can't believe that no one broke appendages uh, while we were doing this. But typically, uh, by the time my mom returned, I made sure that the neighborhood kids were gone and the, the mattresses were back on our beds. But the house, it was a wreck. Uh, my sister was still in her pajamas. And, you know, cereal was still on the table, you know, all those sorts of things. Well, why do I share such a story? Well, Historian uh, and sort of famous moralist John Emmerich Edward Dahlberg Acton, better known as Lord Acton, I don't, now I know why he went by Lord Acton, he wrote uh, in, a, in a letter to this guy named Bishop Mandel Creighton, uh, he wrote the now famous quote, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. So, why does power corrupt? Because it gives them the freedom to do whatever they want. The main theme of Galatians is freedom. So, how dangerous is it for Paul to be talking about an absolute freedom? I mean, a a lot of times what I find in the church is, you know, sort of this, this idea is, you, well, you, we can't go around telling people that they're totally free. That'll lead to, like, anarchy or apathy, right? Well, today, 
we enter Galatians 5, where Paul pivots from theology, like what is true, to practice what to do. And my hope is that you're able to walk away from today saying, I, you know, I've heard all of this stuff about freedom. Now I know what it looks like to practice freedom. All right, so the problem that we're looking at in the passage is that if people are free, then they will most likely either be lazy or they'll be lawless or both, right? So, first, let's define freedom. What is the freedom that we've been studying throughout Galatians? Um, So, from Galatians 2, back when Paul first sort of lays out our freedom, uh, the first, there's, there's basically three ideas of, of what is the freedom that we have in Christ. First, freedom of conscience. And I'm, I wish that I could have, I had slides, but uh, we found out this morning that it's not going to work on this thing. So I apologize. I wish I, I could put it up. But w- the first freedom that we have is freedom of conscience. Um, so Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and the life I now live In the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. He gave himself for us that we might be exonerated from our guilt. No more guilt-ridden life. That is the freedom that we have. Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. I'm clean. So are are you sort of driven to do things in life because you feel guilty all the time? No more. You're free. Doesn't that seem dangerous? Secondly, we have a freedom from needing to earn our justification. Um, In Galatians 2.16, it says, we know that a person is not justified in life by their works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So, if our lives have been justified simply by believing in Jesus, and I I find this hard to grasp emotionally, my life does not ever have to be based in fear again. (laughs) If our lives have been justified simply by believing in Jesus, my life does not ever have to be based in fear again. I don't ever have to ask again, will I be good enough? When the alarm goes off in the morning and I open my eyes, I don't have to get out of bed out of fear, out of a need to to justify my life. No more fear of failure. And then the third freedom is the freedom to actually love and serve God. What? How's that freedom? Well, Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. So as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, if you're finding a righteousness in your behavior by keeping laws, then you're a slave to those laws, not to God. And really, you're a slave to men before whom you're trying to gain a sense of your righteousness. So trying to justify your life is slavery to to the law, and it's slavery to people. So why, why does Paul say, for through the law, I died to the law? Well, because for through the law, I saw 
how holy God is. And I saw how badly I failed to keep His law. So that led me to die to the law. You know, giving up finding my righteousness by it. So that I might live to God. Only when we've died to trying to justify our lives, when we've actually given up self-righteousness, are we actually free? Free to actually serve God, not laws or men. So freedom, the, the freedom Paul's talking about in Galatians is the freedom of conscience, you know, no longer guilt-ridden, freedom from needing to earn justification, no more fear of failure, and third, freedom to actually serve God, no longer a slave to people. So in verse 1 of our passage, that brings us to today. We ask, why freedom? Paul says, verse 1, well, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Jesus freed us from sin's condemnation so that in practice, we could go live freely. Why would he die for your freedom just so that you could go back to living practically as a slave? In this passage, Paul answers both questions that people worry about with freedom. Well, what about laziness? What about lawlessness? Practically speaking, won't we become lazy if we're free? That'll be in verses 1 through 6. And practically speaking, won't we be lawless? You know, sort of just do whatever we want if we're free? And that's in verses 7 through 15. Well, let's go ahead and look at it. Uh, living, of the verses 1 through 6, what I, how I've sort of titled it is, living freely, what it actually does is it works love. Um, Paul starts out arguing from the negative uh, in verses 2 and 3, you know, basically saying, working for righteousness, eh, actually, that abandons Christ. Uh, look, uh, verses 2 and 3, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, you know, the, the practice that was uh, being used, then added to the gospel, you need to believe in Jesus, plus, actually, you need circumcision as well. Um, this was the, the law. Um, if you accept circumcision, Christ, he won't be of any advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So here he's saying, faith in Jesus plus keeping laws doesn't work. It doesn't exist. You, you want to add laws, then you have to keep the whole law perfectly, right? And so accepting a righteousness that's gained by following any law is actually just throwing away Christ. Not only that, verse 4, he says, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So if you discount Christ, then you discount all of God's grace. His grace came to you through Jesus Christ. Justifying your life by anything, even if it's in addition to faith in Jesus, is a nullification of Jesus. It's a rejection of Jesus. And a nullification of Jesus is a nullification of any of God's grace to you. So adding works to faith places you outside of Christ. And if you're outside of Christ, you're outside of grace. 
The only thing that working for righteousness or trying to justify your life through work and accomplishments is working your way out of God's grace. So what may seem like fastidiousness or conscientiousness about keeping God's laws? Have you ever known someone like this who was very concerned and and focused more so even on God's laws than on, on God? You know, the fastidiousness, the conscientiousness, it can be the opposite. It can look like the opposite of laziness. But often, it's actually someone living out of guilt and fear. Seeking to justify their lives before God and men. I've known many people who were at one time extremely focused on right behavior, only to see months or years later that they had left the faith altogether. But he moves on from there to not just say, okay, well, if you throw out, you know, if you add the law, you're throwing out Christ. Here, he, he says, well, freedom actually motivates a different kind of work. It's not going to lead to laziness, but it's going to lead to a qualitatively different kind of work. Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This statement is in contrast to the verses before it. Rather than working to earn righteousness by trying to keep laws, nullifying Christ, instead, today, the Holy Spirit, not our work, lives in us through faith, not by laws, to produce a hope of righteousness, not a hope in ourselves. Hope of righteousness here is referring to our sort of our already guaranteed glorification we'll receive when Christ returns and we're welcomed into his arms and deemed righteous by all men. So people who, who are living freely are people whose hope of being justified before all men lies in the future and not now. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. So I don't need to prove my life to anyone. The only way to live with the freedom Christ died to give us is to believe our righteousness is taken care of. Even if it's not revealed to everyone yet. So then in in verse 6a, right at the beginning of verse 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So not only does believing in Christ by faith justify our lives, but it also makes neither my good performance, you know, working to keep the law of any value, or making me righteous before God, nor does my poor performance, you know, failing to keep laws, make me any less loved, unrighteous, or at risk of being rejected by God. Verse 6 goes on to say, all that matters is faith working through, or even better um, translated, expressing itself through love. In verse 5, we saw that faith leads to a hope of righteousness, having nothing to do with our efforts. But faith also leads to, it produces, it expresses itself through, it works, faith works love. So here's the life of freedom. Uh, I I used to use this illustration 
with junior high students when I was um, a middle school youth director uh, many years ago. And I would, I would say, okay, here's the life of freedom, guys. Old lady struggling to cross a busy street. If I go help her, or if I don't, it doesn't affect my righteousness. But if I'm made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf, I love Him. And if I'm walking in faith in that and in Him, it changes my heart. And it works love in my heart. And it motivates me to go help the lady. It's faith working through love. Well, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How is that any different than working for righteousness by helping the old lady across the street? Romans 14.23 says, everything apart from faith is sin. We always tell our kids, what matters is in your heart, right? Well, that's true with God too. The only way your heart can be freed to truly love in a God-glorifying way is by living by faith in Jesus, His work on the cross for you. Not by any self-righteousness. And so the freedom for the Christian is different from the freedom we witness in other parts of life. This freedom, it doesn't lead to laziness or apathy, but freedom works to love. So practically speaking, are you experiencing the freedom that Christ died to give you? It's for freedom that He sets you free. Are you motivated by guilt or by fear or by love? So, that sort of answers our, our first question. Doesn't, well, won't freedom make us lazy? Well, the second one is, whoa, 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 won't freedom make us lawless? Well, you know, we can just do whatever we want. Come on. Well, he goes, in verses 7 through 12, he lays out how working for righteousness, actually trying to be righteous really hard, working to be righteous, actually fails the law. That actually fails the law. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Righteousness by law-keeping is actually disobedience to truth. By trying to gain a righteousness by obeying laws, you're in fact breaking God's law. The truth is that the righteousness is that righteousness only comes through the blood of Jesus. And then in verse 8 he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. So if, if the people are, are going in the wrong direction, living after the flesh, living religious lives that are, are mechanical and full of guilt and fear, lacking love, and are judgmental. Paul's saying somebody started that, but it wasn't God. It's not from God. Righteousness by law-keeping is an idea that comes from man, not God. If it's not from God, then it's against God. And thus, it doesn't fulfill his laws. And then verse 9, he says, out of sort of nowhere, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. See, why is he saying that? Well, what does that mean? Righteousness by law-keeping may seem like a slight thing, but it infects everything. Who also used the phrase? Jesus. 
And who did he use it towards? Self-righteous Pharisees. There's such a danger of letting a little bit of legalism into our lives, into our hearts, a little bit of self-righteousness into us because it corrupts the gospel as a whole. And it corrupts those around us. It leads us down the road to finding righteousness in our works and influencing others in that direction. And the next thing you know, the whole covenant community is spoiled. But it seemed so small at first, practically speaking. Working for righteousness, trying to to justify your life to either God or men, it's an infectious poison that fails fails God's law. And in far greater ways than we actually think it could. We think it's just this little thing, but it leavens the whole lump. So in verse 7, uh, in verses, well, 10 through 12, basically, Paul has this extra part in this argument. And it, uh, if you'll look at verse 12, uh, 11, it says, brothers, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul contrasts his present practice as an apostle with his former practice as a Jewish Pharisee and says, if I was still preaching circumcision like I used to then, why would I be being persecuted now? Well, why persecuted? Uh, Commentator Ronald, Ronald Fung says, the cross is offensive because it stands for the way of salvation by grace through faith in the atoning death of the crucified one over and against the way of salvation by works. People who are legalists persecute people who live freely. Because the gospel, even if they say they believe it, the gospel is offensive. So then verse 12, Paul says this strange phrase, I wish that they would emasculate emasculate themselves. And here he's referring to the circumcision party and wishing that they would go ahead and finish the job they started and just sort of castrate themselves because that was the practice of the priests of this false god, uh, Sibel, uh, whose temple was in Galatia. So it was saying, I wish you'd just go ahead, I wish that they'd go ahead and cut themselves off from Christianity altogether and just show themselves to be, uh, you know, the, the false religion that they are. Persecuting other Christians is a sure sign that you're being disobedient to the gospel and out of step with God's laws and, in fact, serving another God. So then, verse 15, the passage finishes with, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Righteousness by law-keeping leads to self-righteousness. And self-righteousness, if you've known or seen people who are living through that, they have the need to tear others down in order to lift themselves up. They focus on strife and division. That's why he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So there was a campus ministry in college that I, that I was involved in. And in my, yeah, I was there for five years, I'll admit it. But in my five years, that campus ministry uh, went from 110 to over 700 students my senior year. It was this weird, strange uh, 
thing that took place. And uh, it, was real, it was really exciting and neat to see. Um, in the fall after I graduated, there was a person on staff with that ministry who was really militant about evangelism. The guys in his Bible study were like really gung-ho followers. And at the student leaders meeting, uh, that, you know, one of the student leaders meetings in that, that next fall, they stood up and they said, if you're not serious about hitting the dorms hard and knocking on people's doors, you don't really belong here. You know, and while we can agree that, A, everyone is an evangelist of the thing that they love and believe, and that within Christianity, sharing the gospel is good, they found their righteousness. They justified their lives. Not only by the blood of Jesus, but also by their zeal for evangelism. And although they thought they were being obedient, this was actually disobedience to the truth of the gospel. It was a persuasion that didn't come from God, but from men. And although it seemed like such a slight deviation in the heart of that staff person influencing them, it was a leaven that spread throughout his disciples, and it led them to persecute others who didn't seem as gung-ho about hitting the dorms hard, or whatever that means. The, the campus ministry quickly became divided, with factions siding with different staff members and student leaders. Two staff members had to be reassigned to other campuses, and, and the group lost 400 members within the year. Working for righteousness fails the law. So then, Paul says, well, does, does it just mean everything is lawlessness? There is no... And he says, no, 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 no. Listen. Look at verse 13. There's a harmony that freedom has with God's law. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve... Uh, but through love, serve one another. So he's saying what freedom isn't, it's not an opportunity for the flesh or for sin. Uh, once again, uh, commentator Ronald Fung says, um, freedom from the law, far from being lawlessness, brings its own obligation with it, the proper use of freedom. So we need to ask ourselves, what is the proper use of freedom? Well, look at the second half of verse 13 through verse 14. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how is the whole law fulfilled in one word? You know, the, the, the basic principles for mankind and creation is that God called us to love God and to love our neighbor. And then even we see that throughout the... That is the structure for the rest of God's laws. You go to the Ten Commandments, and it's broken down into the first four are loving God, and the second six are loving your neighbor. All the commands about neighbor have to do with the last one, coveting. And coveting has to do with worshiping something or someone else rather than God, which breaks the first command. It's, they're all intertwined. Likewise in reverse... The fulfillment of all laws is rooted in loving God. You can't love your neighbor truly without loving God. You can't love 
Uh, the, so the whole law is, is, is it's fulfilled in one word, loving your neighbor. So how does living freely live out God's law? Well, when you are loved by God and you rest in His grace, you will love God. And so you will love your neighbor who He made. My family has uh, a history of mental illness. My great-grandfather, my grandfather, my grandmother, my father, and it's moved to me as well. And my dad had a really, really stressful job. And things around the house were always on edge, especially when dad was at home. And so we learned to uh, turn sort of inward with our feelings in order to avoid a blow-up. But around the same time, 12 or 13, that, that summer that I was taking the mattresses outside, one night, one time, my father had gotten angry with me and had yelled at me, and I went stomping back to my bedroom. And that time from my bedroom, I opened my door and I yelled back at him. And I heard the lazy boy chair, like, uh, handle click like he was closing it really fast. And I could hear his belt being pulled out of his, of his jeans. And I, you know, I could hear his heavy feet rapidly advancing across the house. We, had, we lived in this really long ranch house. And I, so I had a couple seconds before he was coming. And I, I could hear him coming. And I knew I deserved it. I, I don't even remember what I said. Of course I don't. Um, but like, I was terrified, and I ran, and I jumped on my bed, and my mom, who was reading in my sister's bedroom next to me, next door to mine, comes running in and throws her body over mine and covers me. And I, she, she kept saying, don't hit him, don't hit him. And I peeked up to see a furious man, having been disrespected with belt in hand, Stopped in his tracks, fuming. I don't remember what was said, but I was saved from a wrath, from a punishment that I deserved. The rest of that summer, there was no more leapfrog off, off the swing. I loved my mom. I wanted to make her life easier. I, I started to love my sister, and I fed her breakfast, and I helped her find clothes to put on. And I did it because I loved my mom, and I appreciated who she was. Freedom in Christ doesn't lead us to lawlessness. It leads us to a love for neighbor that fulfills the law, a love that allows us to serve one another. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, when we celebrate your supper each week, it reminds us powerfully that Jesus, you are sufficient. 
your body, your blood, your life and your death on our behalf has given us freedom. Freedom of conscience, from guilt, freedom from working to justify our lives, freedom from fear, and a freedom to actually serve you. Strengthen us. Strengthen us through this table, through this supper, to live freely rather than to be lazy. That faith may work love. And rather than lawlessness, that love for you would work love for our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.